0: All the worship comes
1: from the book of Psalms in Psalm 18, where the psalmist writes this I love you, O Lord my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Amen. This is God's holy word. Let us together now worship our Lord and our Savior as we join in singing hymn number 421, the second tune. 421, the second tune, Rock of Ages Cleft for Me. If you're able, please stand to sing. If you will please remain standing and turn forward to hymn number 667. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. 667. Please be seated. ...and fine singing voice this morning. That is a taste of heaven, and what a glorious thing it is when God's people sing, and what an encouragement. Let us come now, and let us pray to our great God for many needs of our own congregation and for, indeed, the Gosner family at this time. And for the wider family circle. So let us come and let us cry on to our great God. Let's pray. Our loving eternal Heavenly Father, we commend your holy presence on this year day. And what a glorious day it is. A day when God's people can gather to come and to worship and praise you, the one true and living God. And indeed, we've come this morning to praise you, to worship you, to adore you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, it is our desire this morning that we would come just as the psalmist opened up our worship this morning, that indeed we could say that we love you. You're a good God, a God who gives us more than we deserve. And even as we were reminded in that psalm that we opened our worship with, you're a God of strength. There is nothing you cannot do. You indeed are our rock, that rock of ages cleft for me. You are our fortress the one who we can encamp ourselves around and in. You indeed are our deliverer. You are our shield. You are the horn of our salvation. You are our stronghold. And it's to you this morning we come and we cry on to. We call upon the Lord who is worthy of praise. And we ask, O Lord, that you would meet with your people this day. That you would send forth your Spirit in abundance to this gathering here. That you would encourage your people this morning. That they would be reminded of who indeed you are. A God of love and a God of mercy. And yet, O Lord, when we say all those different attributes of you we're reminded of ourselves. We are not these things. Did even this week, O oh Lord, we have sinned against you and others and thought, word, and deed. Lord, at times we have been prideful. We have tried to do things on our own strength, Try to do things that we're pleasing to man and not to you, Lord. We ask that you would forgive us. At times when we had outbursts of anger. At times even when our lips were moving when they shouldn't and we were gossiping. At times, O oh Lord, when our minds were impure to different things. We, you know us, O oh Lord. Let us not come here this morning and pretend that we are something that we are not. We are sinners in need of a great and a glorious God. And this morning we come and we confess our sins to you, not merely to tick off a box or to say that we've done it, but our hearts, O Lord, are grieved when we think of the sins that we have committed against you and others. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us this day. Your word tells us that if we confess our sins, that you will forgive us and that they will be as far as the east is from the west. Lord, help us in these days to take our sins serious. Help us to be reminded that indeed you are a three times holy God. And, O Lord, if we are found outside of Christ and our lives were to be taken from us, then hell is where we will be. And so this morning we pray for some even gathered here who know you not. Lord, we ask that salvation would come to this place this very day. Even those who have sat for weeks and months and years, O Lord, have nothing hinder them this day that they would hear your call, that they would run to the foot of the cross and that they would cry, Lord, what must I do to be saved? Lord, this day show us your power. Show us indeed that horn of your salvation. Rescue those lost sinners, O Lord. May you receive all of the glory. This morning we come and we give you thanks for many things. We give you thanks for your Son. The one who bled and died and suffered on our behalf. The one who died that cruel death upon a cross. The one who was buried. And yet the one who has rose victorious. Victorious that we come on this day, the first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, to worship our great God, clothed in his righteousness, set apart by him. Indeed, he is that propitiation for us. And, O Lord, this morning we come with thanks in our hearts. We even thank you, O Lord, for our children for grandchildren. Lord, indeed, they are a heritage from you. They are a blessing from you. And Lord, we pray for our children in these days. We pray that we would, as fathers, bring them up in the fear and admonition of yourself, that we would be engaged in family worship regularly. Forgive us when we aren't. Help us, O Lord, to catechize our children Help us, O oh Lord, to be faithful to them. Even in these days when the world is clamoring around and all different voices are coming across their way, Lord, we pray even as parents that we would be faithful. Lord, we pray for our children. Help them, O oh Lord, to be obedient to their parents. Lord, even at times when they would rile up and want to talk back, we pray, O oh Lord, that they would be quiet and be still. But, oh Lord, what a blessing they are. Even as we look out and we see so many young people, Lord, we give you thanks and we praise you. And we do pray, oh Lord, now for the needs of our church. And our hearts indeed are still heavy for the Gosner family and the wider family circle this day. Lord, we even thank you for the day yesterday and even the the weather that you afforded to us. And everything going off well, we pray, O Lord, now that as the quietness comes in, as the hustle and bustle, as it were, dissipates and and quietness and the thoughts begin to come, we do pray for those, O Lord, who mourn. We ask that you would be that rock, that you would be that fortress, that you would be that shield that you tell us in your word that you are that they could hide themselves in you even as they grieve the loss of their loved one. Lord, we do thank you for the life of Thelma, for many lives that she touched, even in this room this morning. What a testimony that is of a godly saint who has run the race well, who has finished well and is now in paradise. And We pray, O Lord, that you would even help us to have the same testimony when we leave this scene of time. Lord, we do pray for even those who will be traveling in the next few hours and days. We pray that you would give them much safety and help. And even as the family, as it were, disperses and goes their different ways, we pray for each of them, that you would meet them all at the point of their need. Even for those that know you not, O Lord, we pray that even the sobriety of death, even the, the, the seeing, even of that casket being lowered into the ground and that final, as it were, exclamation point. May it stir up their hearts, O Lord. May it remind them that death does come to us all. But we pray, O Lord, that they would come and run to You and receive everlasting life. Lord, You are a good God. You're a God who does all things well, and so we pray even in the height of mourning that joy would come at a soul being saved. And Lord, we pray on the other end of the spectrum, on the age scale for little Charlotte, a better week, O Lord, a, a week of stability, and yet a week of more waiting. Lord, we pray that you would bring a heart soon for this little one, We pray, O Lord, that you would even soon have that phone call come in that a heart, a suitable heart is available. But until then, O Lord, we pray that you would give much patience to Mark and Nicole. We pray as days turn into weeks and weeks into months and months soon into a year, O Lord, we pray that you would be with us, dear couple. Lord, as a body, we miss them very, very, very much. And so we pray that soon that heart would be given, that recovery would go well, and soon they'd be able to join with us again to praise you, our glorious God. But until then, O Lord, we pray that you would give all of us patience. Help us to wait on your timing, a timing that will be perfect, a timing that will be pleasing to you, Lord, help us even with this. We do pray for their children. We ask that you would be near to them and encourage their hearts, even as they are doing well, O Lord, right now. We pray that you would continue to sustain and help and even keep them healthy and well. And Lord, we leave them in your care and in your keeping. We do pray for others in our congregation who are sick and infirmed and who are unable even to make it this morning and perhaps are watching on the live stream Lord, we pray that you would be near to them. For some even who are looking after parents and again the days turn into weeks and weeks into months, we pray that you would give much patience and endurance. We pray, oh Lord, that you would even give rest of body and mind. And Lord, we do ask that you would give help in that regard. Lord, we do pray for our church. We asked, as we have gathered here this morning, that it would be an encouragement to all of our souls. And even the encouragement of others coming in amongst us and wanting to join us in membership. Lord, what a joy and a privilege that is. We pray that more would come and more would join us. That as your people, we would join together, we would unite our hearts together, that we would encourage one another to fight the good fight to run the race well. And even when we fall and trip, they would help us and encourage us. And Lord, we pray for this day. Send your spirit amongst us. Encourage us and meet all of us at the point of our need. For we ask all these things in and through Christ's precious name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to our consecutive readings this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 4, and we're going to be reading together verses 14 through to verse 30. If you're able, please stand and let's read God's Word together. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Please give careful attention. This is the Word of God. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent out to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. but passing through their midst, he went away. Amen. This is God's word. Please be seated. Before we come to open up God's word this morning, let's cry on to our great God again in our time of need. Let's pray. Our great God, as we come before you now and we Read and expound your word. Lord, we pray that you would enable and help us. Help us to have ears to hear your words. Help us to take your word with us and do with it as you would will in our lives. Lord, help us not merely to be hearers, but to be doers also. We pray, O Lord, that our hearts would be that ground that is well-tilled, that as the seed is sown, that indeed it would fall on good ground and flourish and grow. Lord, send forth your Spirit, encourage our hearts from your Word, and may we return you much praise for the great God that you are, and we ask these things in and through Christ's precious and holy name, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark this morning. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 6. And we're going to read together, putting this feeding of the 5,000 into its context, beginning at verse 30, and we're going to read through to verse 44. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30, the word of God says this The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate, and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Amen. This says God's word. Perhaps no story in the Bible other than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, confronts us with the reality of our Lord's deity more directly than this feeding of the 5,000. Only God could do what occurred on that remarkable day in Israel. And as God's people this morning, I want you to do one thing. Very difficult and very hard. But I want you to forget all that you've heard of this story before and read it afresh with eyes to see and to hear. This story is so popular and it's so captivating for children and adults. And this story is so important in the life and ministry of Jesus that this miracle that we have just read Outside of the resurrection is the only one that is recorded in all four Gospels. Quite a remarkable thing. You'll find it in Matthew 14. You'll find it in the account that we've just read in Mark chapter 6. You can read it in Luke 9. And if you want more, you can go to John and read it in John chapter 6. And John 6 informs us that this miracle made such an impact on this crowd that day that they attempted to take our Lord Jesus Christ by force and make him king. We don't read that in Mark, but the other Gospels, especially in John, we read of that. But yet our Lord would refuse and praise God that he did. Remember the gospel of Mark when we first began? His eyes are fixed on one thing and one thing alone. And that is the cross. The cross in which he will bear. The cross in which he will die upon. And the cross in which we look to and hope. And so our Lord would refuse those many people saying, please be our king, because he was the king of kings and Lord of lords. There are many, many lessons in this feeding of the 5,000. Forty minutes, if I can keep it to that, doesn't do it justice. This is one of the miracles that has so many different facets attached to it that really in one sermon we can't give it justice, but we will structure the sermon in this way to gain hope and to see exactly who our great God is. And so this morning, we're going to look at this under three headings. We're going to look at, He is the Lord of little fears. He is the Lord of little faith. And He is the Lord of little food. So first of all, verses 35 through 36, He is the Lord of little fears. To put verse 35 into its context, We have to go back to verse 30. These apostles had gone through the land and had preached the word of God. And they had returned. And they hadn't come, as it were, with their tail between their legs. No, they come telling Jesus all that that they had done and all that they had taught. If you've ever been to a youth camp, If you've ever been to a conference, normally by the end of it, you're so, as it were, pumped up. This is exactly how the disciples were that day when they returned to Jesus. As it were, their zeal was on fire for God. And God in his goodness, the last time we opened this, saw the need to take these men aside and to give them rest. They'd worked hard. They had done many things. And then verse 35 comes. And these men who had gone out to different places, who had preached the word, are now afraid. These men are afraid that the people will not be able to find any food to eat if the hour grows any longer. I'm sure these men are tired and hungry themselves. They can hear the rumblings in their belly. And I'm sure they can hear the rumblings in others who are around them. There was a large amount of people. They had left very quickly on that boat that day. They had not, not brought anything to provide. And now these men with all these people are ten miles, as it were, away from home. They're in a desolate and a deserted location. They're in a place where there is no food to be found. It's not like here where every corner you see a large M. And that's for your McDonald's or you see the Starbucks logo. This is not what they had. They were in the middle of nowhere and nothing could be given to these people to eat. The disciples basically say, Lord, you've preached long enough. Send them on their way. Let these people go back and find some food. These disciples are filled with doubt and with fear. If Jesus keeps preaching, none of them are going to get a bite to eat. It's if I kept preaching on past 12 and we got to 1 and we got to 2, we got to 3 o'clock, there may be a few people starting to go through the back door because the smell of food would overcome us. And these men go to the Lord Jesus Christ and they express their doubts and their fears. But let me ask you a few questions today as you've come in here to worship God. Do you ever look at situations that you face in your life and, became, and become afraid and full of doubt? Do you ever look at a lost family member and wonder if they will ever be saved? Do you ever look at a physical need and wonder if it will be all right or will it lead to something worse? Are you ever afraid to open the mailbox because it might contain yet another bill? Are you ever afraid to answer the phone call because it might be news that you do not want to hear? Do you ever scan the days of your life as you get older and wonder how many days and weeks and months and years do I have left? Do you ever look at the world's condition that we stand and sit in today and become afraid, wondering how will it ever turn out? Do you ever wonder where your next meal will come from? What I'm asking you this morning is, do you ever have fears? I don't mean of spiders. I don't mean of snakes. I mean of hard, real-life matters. If I was to stand up here and say that I fear no one or no thing, I'd be a hypocrite. We all fear fear. We're all afraid of the unknown. And when problems arise like we have with the disciples this morning, we can wonder, is the Lord of glory able to handle that situation? Remember who these men were. Disciples of Christ. And to their eyes on that evening hour, they looked out to the crowd. They could hear the rumblings of the bellies and the wondering of how they were going to be fed. And they thought, this is absolutely impossible. They were not coming to Jesus in faith. They were coming to him in fear. They were saying in so many words, Lord, this problem is actually greater than you are. We don't think you can handle it. You know what? You'd better send these people away, or there may even be a revolt and we're going to be in trouble. We may never have said those words, but we may have acted in that manner. At times we can fret and worry about our problems and we're filled with doubts concerning the Lord's ability to solve them. Instead of coming to Jesus with a heart that says, Lord, I believe you, I love you, my God, and I know that no matter what problem I have, it is nothing for you. But what do we tend to do? We tend to hold them and carry them on our backs and have them weigh in our minds and as it were, they drain the life right out of us. The word of God time and time and time again tells us, trust me. Trust me and forget the times of fear. Forget the times of worry. Forget the times of even disappointment in your life. Trust me. Perhaps you're sitting there and you're going, Merv, you have no idea. You have no idea the fears that are in my life right now. For me, they are not little. And how dare you say they are little? They're huge, they're gigantic, they're impossible, they're anything but little. I say to you, from the word of God, remember the attitude of those ten spies when they went into Canaan and they saw giants there. Remember your Sunday school days. They went in and they saw them and what did they do? There is no hope. Don't even go in there. It was an attitude of, I don't care who God is, he's not as big as these people. But regardless of the fears that you have, and you have them, they are little when they are placed next to Christ. If he can create a universe out of nothing, Surely he can meet your need. And here we pull on the handbrake and we hammer home that it was God who made the world. Not a bang, not a tadpole, not anything else. God created the world. And if God can keep Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through a furnace that was turned up so hot that those that were being thrown in were actually burnt up to a crisp, can he take care of you? If he can secure and close the mouths of ferocious lions and a den when a man is dropped into a pit And nowhere to go. And there is no harm done to him. That same God can take care of you. If he can feed three million Jews. In a desert for 40 years. Surely he can take care of you. And here is the pinnacle. If he can defeat sin. And he can defeat death and hell and the grave and Satan using an old rugged cross and an empty tomb. He, dear brother and sister, can take care of you. The question I ask you this morning is, do you believe that he defeated these things? If he, our great and our glorious God, can save you from your sins, he can take care of you no matter what comes across your path. But I ask you, do you believe it? For 36 years, I've had the privilege of being taken to church every single Lord's Day, apart from sickness and illness I get. But for 36 years, the Word of God has been opened and read and instruction given. And yet at times I still fear. And you're all going, the math, what age is he? He's 41. My parents weren't believers. my first few years of my life. But we've heard and we read the Word of God, I pray, every day. If you haven't listened to Psalm or read Psalm 119, go home this afternoon and read it. If you're a fast reader, it's about 25 minutes, but read it. And we've read the Word of God. And we've been to Sunday school. And we've sat under the word of God being preached and taught to us week after week after week. And yet we still fear. We still have worries. We still wonder. That is why I remind you this morning. God is good all the time. He kept those three men in that fiery furnace. He kept that man in the lion's den. He kept many, many Jews in the deserts for years. And he did defeat sin, death, and the grave. We fear. And we worry. But as believers this morning, whatever that is... Bring it to him. Bring it to him in confidence, knowing that indeed he is a good God. And he is willing to hear the prayers of God's people. And he's willing to take care of you. The Bible tells us that even as a sparrow falls to the ground, a little bird, God cares for his people more. What a, what a blessing and a privilege that is. Jesus is indeed the Lord of fears. But he's also the Lord of little faith. These men come. And they didn't come in faith saying, you know what, Jesus? How can we help you overcome this problem? No. These men want Jesus to sand the people away. Sand them away. Verse 36. Tell them to shoo away and go get their own food. Sort yourself out. Go wherever you can and buy whatever is able you're able to purchase in these days. And they come to Jesus with that attitude. They come to Jesus and say, look, this is a huge problem. We, there's nothing that can be done here. Send them all away. And look what Jesus does. It's as if it were that slap across the face do you know who I am? He answered them, you give them something to eat. Us? We cannot feed these people. Should we go and buy and bring food in? No. He says, you feed them. This command is immediately met with unbelief. The Gospel of John, in the the Gospel of John, Philip is the one who speaks up and he says there that 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have just a little. We have it in in Mark as as the denarius or the denarii, which was a, a day's wage for an average worker. It would have taken the average worker eight months to earn the amount of money that Philip and John is talking about. In modern day terms, it was about $10,000. It was more money that they could ever hope to collect on a short notice. And, and Philip is saying, Lord, even if we had $10,000, we couldn't satisfy all these people. It is impossible. Jesus says, feed them. The disciple says, we can't, we don't have the resources. This is a problem that cannot be solved. These men looked, and they considered that the problem, that, that it was insurmountable. It was things that they couldn't change, or they couldn't help. but he was right there. These men, in their eyes, were facing an impossible challenge. It didn't matter that they'd seen Jesus turn water into wine, that they had seen him heal lepers and, and cast out legions of demons and, and calmed violent storms and Healed people with incurable diseases and raised people from the dead. You would think out of the 12 that the penny would drop. Hey, remember when he did that? I wonder, can he do something here? It didn't matter that he'd proven himself to them over and over and over again. They're like that bucket with holes. They forgot. All that mattered to them was that very moment. That obstacle that was right before their eyes. It was as if they said, we can't. And you know what? We don't believe you can either. Oh, ye little faith. And we can, yeah, give it to them. But we're just as bad. Let me ask you a few questions. Has God ever failed you, believer? Has He ever failed you? Have you ever had a genuine need that He didn't meet? Have you ever seen him fail to keep one promise that he ever made? I can answer those for you if you're found in Christ. No. God has never failed us. And God never will. He saved your soul. He lifted your feet from that miry clay. And he set your feet upon a rock. Him. That's why yesterday. Around a graveyard. In the middle of nowhere. Someone was to ask me how you get there. I have no idea. I am so thankful for Apple Maps. But in the middle of nowhere. in a graveyard full of other people whose bodies had been laid to rest. A number of us got to see a casket lowered into the ground. And standing there, it reminded me, and I hope it reminded those who are in Christ, that he is with us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Our sister Thelma was a believer. She had that hope. She had that faith. She had that saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That when that time came and God took that breath from her lungs that final time, she was with him in paradise. But I ask you this morning, do you have that peace? Do you have that faith? Do you have that assurance that you are found in Christ? Even this morning, our brother in the book of Revelation, and from good old Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, which I know I quote quite a bit, but for some they walk across that final river and it's as if they can do it majestically and great. They had strong faith. And yet for others, it's as if they're gasping for air trying to get across. Little faith. And yet, it was faith nonetheless. That small faith that we had was sufficient to join us to a God who was wonderful a God who is majestic, a God who takes our faith, and he builds upon it day after day after day, a God who is a good God, a God who is worthy of our praise, and yet at times we do even church half-heartedly. In the book of Matthew, he, says, he said to them, that's Jesus, said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The very faith of a mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? We were reminded yesterday in the eulogy of, of planting sweet pea, And they can be kind of bigger seeds than normal. You ever seen a mustard seed? You almost need a magnifying glass to find it. In Mark, Jesus said to them, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. There are times when we look at circumstances and our unbelief is more than our belief. I urge you, call upon him. Call upon Christ. He can. In Matthew 21, Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will be happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This morning, do you? Do you have faith? Not in yourself. Not in yourself. Because here is the warning. James 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When trials come, when difficulties come, ask in faith. When we act like the disciples and we look at the problem instead of the problem solver, What do we expect to happen? We expect to be like those men. Send them away. Be gone with those trials. But no, God takes us through that deep, dark trial. Why? Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What? What? i will fear no evil why because christ and god is with us even in your darkest hour the lord jesus christ is there when we try to do things on our own strength what does it do it brings failure When we believe in God for even the impossible, we will see him do incredible things time after time after time. How do we know? Children, have you ever heard of a man called Gideon? He was a mighty man. And Gideon was a man who loved God. And in Judges 7, tomorrow night when you are doing your family worship or whenever you do it, perhaps you could have your dad or your mom read it to you in Judges 7, it tells us of Gideon going to battle. And what happens through that story is he starts off with a very large amount of people in his army. A large amount of people. And what happens when we have the backing of a lot of people is we tend to, well, we don't really need God. We've got all these people. And what does God do? He removes them. And he keeps whittling down this army, this mighty army, and he keeps bringing it down and down and down until there are only a few hundred men. And they are going to battle against a large army. Now imagine if you were one of those men. And you looked at the horizon. And you saw a vast encampment of people. And you looked to the right. And you looked to the left. And there was only a handful of you. What would you do? Some people might run the other direction and get out of there. But these men and Gideon, the leader of this army, did something that day. They trusted God. They knew that God would give them the victory. Not man, not the thousands of men in that army, but God. And so it is with us. We try to do things in our own strength. We try to do things to get the applauds of others and men. No, no, no. We need to do things in God's strength. That is why, congregation, pray for your pastors. Pray for those who stand up here and preach God's word, that we do not do these things in our own strength, in our own intellectual abilities, needs to be done in the strength of the Lord. That he receives all of the glory and all of the praise. And that our faith would increase seeing God doing a mighty work. Thirdly, he is the Lord of little food. The Lord of little food. After this display of faithlessness, of worry, of fear. Jesus asked the man in verse 38, how much food do you actually have? Go and find out. There was a vast crowd and in that vast crowd was one young boy. We read that in John 6 who had a small lunch bag with him. And all that he had was five loaves and two fishes. Now, there are times when we read that, we think it's some big, massive French baguette that he had. That, you know, maybe there's a slight possibility that if we cut it thin enough, we could feed most of them. Or, you know, maybe there's someone in the back and they've got a sourdough starter and they're making bread and there's enough. And we look at man, these loaves were no bigger in circumference than that of a tennis ball or a softball, they were flat. And these fish were not bass or 700-pound yellowfin tuna. They were the fish that those people ate in those days. And what were they? The size of a sardine. And when they returned with these minuscule amounts, the disciples, and it's at this time and John that we read of, is what on earth are these small things amongst so many? How on earth are we ever going to do this? And from a human perspective, they're right. There's times as husbands, we can say to someone at church, hey, would you like to come for lunch? And we perhaps don't tell our wives that we've invited someone. And on the drive home, we say, oh, yes, I have such and such coming over. And we get that look from our wives off. What? Same thing here. How on earth are we going to feed these people? But look at verse 39. Christ doesn't even flinch. Look what he says. And he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. He didn't look at this and then look at the crowd and go, yeah, we got no hope here. I thought there might have been more. No. He says, sit down in companies. That word literally means in rows. It's like if you imagine those vegetables in a garden in a nice, neat, orderly row. And then we're reminded, if we keep reading, and they sat down in groups by hundreds, And by 50s, hmm, if our minds are really thinking this morning and I haven't put you to sleep yet, it should remind you of someone in the Old Testament, Moses, who did the same. He sat them down in these grips. And Jesus here at this point serves as the host of a a messianic banquet. And this desolate place, becomes a place of plenty and just like Moses all those years ago met Israel's physical needs with manna and the quail a greater than Moses is here not only the good shepherd but also the bread of life and he will feed his people here with an abundant feast a feast that unlike they've ever known before But yet in verse 39, we need to read of something remarkable. Mark here gives us the profile of the one who is doing all of this. Turn back in your Bibles. And you will see in verse 34... When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Here we have in verse 39, the good shepherd. The grass was green, Mark tells us. The people sat in rows and the people would not want by the end of that day. Remind you of a Psalm. A Psalm that was read yesterday. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The one who took them little loaves and those little fish is the same that we read off in Psalm 23 and throughout all of the pages of Scripture. Even the location and the description, it reminds us of Jesus Christ who is with us and who draws near to us. Even here in feeding of the 5,000, it reminds us he is the good shepherd. He then takes these loaves. And he takes the fish and he lifts his face towards heaven and he blesses the food. Christ is not upset that this is all he has. No, he's not bothered by the small amount. He took what was given him and he began to break it. And he kept on breaking and he kept on giving. And Jesus took those little biscuits and those little sardines and they were multiplied in his hands. And he kept on breaking them. And he kept on giving them to his disciples. And the loaves and the fish kept on coming. Here we see Christ in all of his glory. Here we see the one who created the heavens and the earth accomplish this miracle. No man could have done this. To feed 5,000 men plus women and children would have required them to empty their baskets and return for Jesus for refills. And maybe the first time the disciples thought, okay, I've got a good basket here. I've got to go easy. So the first people maybe only got a little bit. But then they came back and they're going, is it going to be that he's run out of food? He never did. Not once. Once. He kept breaking and he kept giving until every person in that crowd had more food than they desired for. And the disciples took up what was left. And there were 12 baskets, one perhaps for every doubting disciple. What is the point of this passage? one that we know oh so well. God is more than enough. He can take the little and he can do much. That mother who packed that lunch that day had no idea. You want to meet some people in heaven? She's one of the ones I'd love to. What did your son say when he came back? Mom, your basket fed so many people because of him. And who is the him? Jesus. Jesus took what was available and he multiplied it for his glory. When we give what we have to Him, He amazes us time and time again. When the situation arose and the question from Jesus was, how are we going to handle this in John 6? John there were four responses that could be given and the disciples did the first three. Or the first two, let's just get rid of the problem. How often have we done that? Well, let us raise money, and perhaps that will help us. We have little, but it will never be enough for the fourth. Take it to him. Take it to the Lord Jesus Christ. If he can use the cry of a little baby to bring peace to Abraham and Sarah. If he can use a stammering man called Moses to lead his people from Egypt to stretch out his hand and his rod to part the sea and deliver his people from Pharaoh. If he can use a little boy named David who slung a stone and removed a mighty giant. If he can use tiny bread called manna to feed his people for 40 years. If he can use a leather mantle to part the Jordan for Elijah and Elisha. If he can use a widow with a little meal and a little oil to take care of the man of God. If he can use a little woman by the name of Mary to bring into a little world that baby called Christ who would die and go to a cross and would be raised again. What are we to do? Trust him. Is there something in your life today that's troubling you? Then, dear saint, bring it to him. Bring it to him. Do not wait another day. Do not hold on to those fears and worries another moment. Bring them to him. And just to make one thing abundantly clear, Jesus could have done all of this without anything. Jesus could have fed that multitude that day with nothing. But he he chose to use what was given to him for his glory. Bring and place into his hands today. He will take it and use it in ways that you cannot imagine. You've been given talents and abilities. Dear Saint, use them. Bring your gifts to him and watch him multiply them for his glory. Bring yourself and watch him use you. You see, God specializes in something. He specializes in taking these frail clay bodies and using them for his glory please turn in your Bibles to 2nd Corinthians and with this we close 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 where we read this in verse seven. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always been given over to death for Jesus' sake, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more, more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Believer in Christ, that is you this morning. I urge you, do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Day by day. May it be that we would look at ourselves as those jars of clay. Doesn't seem like much. Doesn't look like much. But yet, those vessels are the honor and glory of our great God. Today, whoever you are, get your life into the hands of him who can help you and aid you throughout this life. Let us all pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, this miracle of feeding the 5,000 is so well known to us, something that has been taught for many, many years to many of us, and we've heard it so many times. But Lord, we pray that your word would come afresh to us this morning. Lord, help us to see indeed the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. The one who truly did take these little loaves and these tiny fish and fed thousands of people. Lord, our minds at times, for being honest, wonder did it really happen, and yet we believe it did. This morning we asked that you would increase our faith in you. Lord, at times forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us when we doubt, when trials come. Are you able to help us? Lord, many of us can attest in this room this day that yes, you are. And so we pray that we would cling on to those promises. Lord, we think of those who do not have this hope or this faith. Lord, we pray that this would not just merely be another time that they've come and ticked the box of attendance. Lord, we pray that even as they leave this place, that that still voice would come as that thunderous voice. Lord, we pray give them no rest until they find you. Lord, we pray that you would save souls this day. For we ask it in and through your Son's precious name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is one that's so dear to my own heart. 699, it says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, How I've proved him o'er and o'er, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, Oh, for grace to trust him more. Dear Saint, if that's you this morning, can I encourage you to raise your voice and sing praise to the one who we find rest in, the one who has proved himself o'er and o'er, the one who indeed is precious. Let us stand and let's sing together hymn 699. Thank you. heaven's going to be glorious. Great singing people. The benediction from God's holy word we find in Romans 15 where it says this, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Go in his mercy and grace.